see we've got some questions over there which we'll get to. Um, but I wanted to start out this retreat with you all discussing why we are here and what the practice of meditation, what the goal of it is, what the idea of it is. And that is simply to learn how to withdraw your awareness such that you recognize what is always true for you beyond your limited small sense of self, beyond the mind, body, and personality. And the reason this is useful, the reason we do this, is because eternity is a long time. Eternity is a long time. And we can spend that time being disturbed by whether things go our way or don't go our way, or we can recognize that this life that we're experiencing is like, like a pearl or like a bead on a thread. And the important thing is the thread that runs through that bead, because that is, that is the eternal. That is what we are, that is what we will always be, that's what we always have been. And when we are more aware of being the bead rather than the whole necklace or the thread that runs through it, then things like adversity, difficulty, um, joy coming and going starts to bother us. And we have anxiety, stress, and tension, and eternity becomes a little less uh, enjoyable. So the reason we're here, the reason we're learning these things is to recognize that this is an inner path. It has a little bit to do with the things that you do in your life, such as eating well, exercising, managing your relationships. But the focus is on developing the inner sense of knowing what you are at the essence, the core of your being. That way, when your body is well, great. You can relate to the world through a healthy body. When your body is not well or you're passing, no problem. You have a greater understanding of that just simply being a transition in the same way that you go to sleep at night and you wake up in the morning. And when you can see the, when you can see the extent of your life in that way, things tend to be more joyful overall. You know, Roy Davis, he would always ask, um, how are you living your immortal life? How are you living your immortal life? And the more I contemplated that, the more I realized that you know, this is about recognizing what is eternally true, which is why um, his book on the Bhagavad Gita is called The Eternal Way. And some people call it the perennial philosophy or the perennial wisdom because it is always true. And all religions, all teachings, they eventually, all authentic enlightenment teachings lead to this understanding. And when you meditate, you get a glimpse of that. Okay, And I would love to say that it is easy to meditate really well such that you get a glimpse of that quickly. That has not necessarily been my experience. My experience has been, you know, when I learned how to meditate, I was simply learning to calm my mind, calm my emotions, turn within, focus on a mantra, and then say, oh yes, that was a peaceful transformational experience. But as the years went by, what I started to recognize, that's why I keep using the word training, is that the meditation process is about training you to let go of identification with the small sense of self such that you can get a true, honest-to-God experience of um, 
that eternal witness or, or that et eternal presence which is there right now. It was there when you were driving here yesterday or flying here. It was there when you were dreaming last night. It was there when you were three years old. It was there when you had the greatest joy in your life. It was there when you had the greatest terrible thing happen in your life. It was always there. That is what we're aiming to put our attention to. The difficulty behind it is that our society and this world um, tends to put more of an emphasis on defining who and what we are uh, by our body, our mind, our personality, right? And you see people who suffer because of that all day long, every day. And the difficulty in this path is that you are having to, to, to interact in a world from a very different compass, a very different framework. And part of the training is learning to catch those glimpses, those insights so that you can stay there. But also part of the training is learning to hold yourself in that internal state such that you recognize the changes as they rise and fall within the world. And that even goes so far as to say uh, you, are, you are expressing in this world through a mind, a body, a personality, and sometimes you're going to be happy, and sometimes you're going to be sad, and sometimes you're going to be angry, and sometimes you're going to be anxious. But the more you turn within, the more you start to see those the same way that you see the clothes that you are wearing. Right? You start to recognize that, oh, Right now, you know, I feel like interacting in this way, uh, and I have this emotion, but you are not pulled into it. You are not sucked into it such that you lose yourself. So the whole point of this is recognizing what you are in the same way that when you are dreaming, every now and then, you know you're dreaming, right? Have you had an experience like that where you're dreaming? You're asleep, your body's asleep, and then you recognize, wait a minute, this is a dream. And then everything changes. M might not be that you can actually control the dream, but because you know it's a dream, you are no longer troubled by or pulled into whatever is happening in that dream. So this happens in our waking life as well. Every now and then, you catch a glimpse where maybe you're really frustrated about something. You recognize, huh, that really isn't that big of a deal, even though your body and your mind is still acting like it is, right? And so the more that you pull yourself within and you're able to see this, you recognize that this is an inner path. That what is most important is the inner aspect of yourself. Now the book that I have here, I don't really know if they have the same kind of hardcover and uh, sort of look that this does, the holy science. I got this probably when I first came to CSA about 20 years ago. Uh, but this was written by Swami Shriktishwar in the middle there, uh, who's the teacher of Yogananda. Um, and the, the reason I want to pull out this book is because there is a, a section in it towards the end where it describes being baptized in the Spirit. Now, we're not talking about the typical Christian methodology of baptism where you'll shake on the floor after it happens. You might. But the way Sri Yukteswar is approaching it is he's simply indicating that when you meditate, something happens which slowly starts to lessen your attachment to everything you thought was so important, and you start to wake up to that inner sense of what is true for you. Now, this morning when we meditated, I asked you to listen, to see if you could hear a sound. 
And you've heard me talk about this before, the Om vibration. And Sri Yukteswar talks about this as the, the pranava. And he, he attributes it to Om and the idea of the Amen. And that is considered to be the evidential aspect of God or divine consciousness. The evidential aspect, meaning that which we can perceive, that our little Ryan and little John and little Robert, and that, that we can actually, that little part of us can, can experience and perceive. And it is as close to the reality of this wholeness of life, of God, that, that the little us can comprehend. But it's pretty close. And what Sri Yukteswar mentions is that when we practice meditation, when we do our Kriya Pranayama, when we do our mantra, when we do chanting through the chakras, we're learning to pull our awareness within such that we can begin to become aware of that current and that sound. Now, if you're not interested in waking up or clarity, what this does to a lot of people is what happens when, you, if you've ever tried to take um, two magnets and you, you get the poles wrong and you try to push them together and it kind of like pushes off each other. It's like it won't quite go together. Do you, you know that feeling that I'm talking about? Well, when someone is not interested in inner clarity, when they start to experience um, either this sound internally or a state of inner stillness, it almost kind of pushes, pushes them back because they want to be identified with the small sense of self and not give themselves to that evidential aspect of Om, however you want to describe it, because it is by going into that that you lose your small sense of self. And when you lose your small sense of self, then you wake up to the bigger picture, that's the way I look at it, the bigger picture, the bigger aspect of yourself. And then you start living life very differently. Then all those things that we read about in the Yoga Sutras, such as being truthful, um, non-possessiveness, non-attachment, uh, all these, these qualities become natural to you. You don't have to force them. You don't have to try to make them a part of you because you're living from uh, a level where it's recognized that that is the tasteful thing to do. In the same way that when you look at a child who's you know, three, four years old, they want what they want when they want it right now. That's just part of their development. But when that child gets older, eventually they start to recognize, oh, if I'm able to restrain myself, if, if I'm able to be responsible in certain situations and I grow into a healthy adult, I can live freely. You know, I'm not bound by these difficulties of a three or four year old kid. The same is true here when we start to meditate well and we are able to perceive and give ourselves to the process we wake up to that which we are beyond the mind-body personality and then we experience uh, inner peace, we experience an inner knowing of what is true, and then all those things that you've read about in the Bhagavad Gita and the Yoga Sutras become natural to you. Uh, while I'm not a big fan of social media, I did post something on social media the other day that was a, a picture of Babaji and um, there was sort of a conversation, and someone said, you know, something like, you're so peaceful, how did that happen? And he says, like, uh, I meditate and I practice. He says, oh, well, it must be really natural to you. Um, you know, and 
the yogi says, no, it's, it's practice. He says, well, you know, I don't think I could ever do that. And it, it's this constant theme of, no, it's all about practice. And sure enough, someone on the uh, response column said, well, not everyone can be a good yogi like Yogananda and, and Babaji. And, you know, I, I tried to think about how to respond to that. And he said, you know, not everyone can be an NBA star like Michael Jordan. And I recognized how they were perceiving what this path was all about, as though it was achieving something great in this world. It's not. <laughs> and, and I had to explain, which is always silly to do on social media, um, I tried to explain inner peace and the knowing that these yogis that we look up to, that is your birthright. Being an NBA star is not. You know, we all have our, our paths. You know, Michael Jordan, great. He's supposed to be a professional basketball player to that degree. But all of us have the capacity, as long as we're reasonably somewhat functional, to know what these people that we look up to, these yogis that we look up to, these spiritual individuals, these people who know deep peace, we can know that. We have the capacity to know that because we actually are that. What we have to do is train ourselves to recognize it and train ourselves to abide there. To abide there. Um, in this book, Sri Yukteswar mentions that there are three, three worlds or three levels of our being which is the physical, the physical level. Um, there is the level of like, fine matter, which we could probably relate to uh, the, the astral plane, which is like our emotions or the world of our dreams and our imagination, that inner world where, where you can see and experience things and feel and process. And then there is another world which is considered to be uh, the causal world, which is the level of pure awareness and like, pure ideas or pure ideation. And he describes that when you meditate and you are able to get calm and avoid distractions and experience that inner stillness, eventually what happens is you begin to hear that sound that we discussed, that own vibration, or, and sometimes together, you end up seeing like a radiant light in this area. So if my eyes are closed and I'm slightly looking upwards, I would see a radiant light in this area behind my closed eyelids. And that by giving your attention to that, that is like uh, the process of spiritual baptism. And so he, uh, he is equating not taking someone out into the water and dunking them, he's equating by giving your full attention to this om, this sacred current, you are essentially sacrificing your small sense of self. And the more you do that, the distractions fall away, and eventually you wake up from the material creation, meaning you stop taking the stuff that's happen happening to you physically so seriously. It doesn't mean you don't participate. You still participate. You still pay your bills. You still try to take care of your body. But whether things go well or they don't go well, you do your best and you let go of it. 
So you wake up to this understanding, oh, I am more than this physical body, this personality. And the more often you keep going back into this state, you eventually start to realize that the experiences that you have, how you think about things, how you know things, is related to this the second level, this, this astral level. Until eventually you keep doing it, you keep going into this sound, this meditative state, this inner light, and then you wake up to what's called the causal level, or that, that idea of, of pure awareness, pure being. And so by meditating well, and by meditating well, I mean you do whatever it takes to be still and quiet inside. And you learn to abide in that silence and you learn to hear that inner vibration or see that inner light. And then you make that what you are giving yourself to. You're giving your full attention to that. And in time, it becomes consistent. Meaning, uh, when I first started coming here you know, 20 years ago, um, when I would first walk into this space, this meditation hall, I would hear that sound but it would very quickly go away because I had no idea what it was or what to do with it. Um, but as the years went by, I started to pay more attention to it. And now when I come to this place, I can hear it almost immediately. And when I'm on my own meditating, because I'm able to pull my awareness within, I can hear it almost immediately. And it's because of 20 years of training myself to do that. It wasn't, it, it wasn't God's gift of grace to me. <laughs> I mean, maybe it was that I had that inspiration to do it, but it was... It was the, the, the constant training, the constant sacrifice of my time and my attention to develop that capacity such that it became a natural, easy experience. So that is why we are meditating, to do that, to learn how to do that. And then we recognize, let me see if I've marked the pages here. I did before I came down. And here we are then we start to recognize that this whole idea of, um, of baptism and rebirth, and even in the Kriya Yoga tradition, when we go through an initiation, that it is a natural process if you can give your attention to it. It is a natural process, and it is available to everyone. Let's see, here we are. So Sri Yukteswar writes, okay, so in the baptism, uh, man repents. And he's using the terminology like you would think of in uh, Bible study class because his goal, just so you know, um, he had a, this was written in 1894, I think. He had a, a strong interest in sharing how mystical traditions of various religions were all tied together. So he's using words like baptism and repent, not in the way that uh, an evangelist, he's using it in a, a yogic perspective. And to repent means to withdraw oneself from the external world. That's what it means. It doesn't mean give up all your sins and, and live a certain way. Eventually that happens. But it means that you are withdrawing yourself from the external world to become aware of what is true. So man repents and withdraws his self from the external world of gross matter. And when you are able to withdraw your world from gross matter, that's that first level, then enters the internal one of fine matter. Once you are able to pull within and enter that world of fine matter, eventually there he or she perceives the manifestation of spirit or the true light. 
And in this state of baptism, the ego, and by ego, all that is, is who you think you are right now. Okay. What all your little quirks are, your little idiosyncrasies, the things you like, the things you don't like, that's your ego. Gradually passes through the chakras and eventually enters into um, the heart of creation. And when you're able to enter into the heart of creation, then you become aware of, as someone asked me one time, or actually quit the Kriya Yoga Apprenticeship Program <laughs> because I could not answer this question. I could not answer why such evil existed in the world. I thought, so you've gone through this process. You've told me that your meditations are deeper, that you do have a greater understanding of many things, but because little Ryan here can't answer the question that no philosopher <laughs> in all of time has been able to answer adequately, <laughs> you're not going to continue. So I had to chuckle a little bit with that. And I said, okay, well, I wish you well, and I hope you eventually figure it out. But the thing is, if this person would have stayed the course and would have continued meditating deeply, no one would have come along and said, hey, I've got a paragraph here that's going to explain why evil exists in the world. But what would have happened is you become aware of why the idea of darkness exists, or as Sri Yukteswar defines it, maya, which is illusion, ignorance. So there is nothing that we're going to do by meditating, by practicing yoga, that is going to eradicate what we perceive of as evil and difficulty in this world. Nothing's going to do it. However, by meditating well, we eventually get the realization of what that is all about. Now again, that is not something that anyone can describe to you or help you make peace with from the level of the personality. right? And once you experience it, you're not going to be able to describe it or make peace with it in anyone else's personality. But you will have an inner understanding of what this idea of maya, illusion, or ignorance truly is. And this is why in the Yoga Sutras, was it the Yoga Sutras? I think it's the Gita. There is this description of, um, of being neutral in difficult circumstances. You celebrate virtue when you experience it, but when there's no virtue there, when there is the opposite of virtue, there's no indication of fighting it or trying to change it, unless there's something obvious like someone's getting beat up and you can stop it. But the, 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 we're talking more bigger picture stuff here. Um, it, is, it is being neutral, not being pulled into it, not giving it more energy, which again... Um, I've recently been talking to a CSA minister, Phil McLemore, who was a uh, he was a, a army chaplain for 30 years um, and a hospice chaplain, and he has a very keen interest in the Bible as yogic literature. I've been talking with him about that and doing some podcasts, and um, so this is why this is on my mind so much. But the idea when Jesus says, you know, if someone strikes you, you you turn your cheek and let them strike the other one, we can take that literally. Or we can recognize that that is related to this kind of principle of celebrating virtue when it is there, but when it is not there, you don't give energy to the opposite of it. 
And then what happens is you stop defining yourself by polarities. And then you start to wake up to this experience that Sri Yukteswara is describing, that you move from the physical world to the internal finer electricities, to the causal world, till eventually you see the reality of maya, illusion, ignorance before you. And the best way I can describe this is, I mean, think about people that are so caught up in their life situation that if something goes wrong, they completely lose it. You know, if they're, if they're unhealthy, they can't get beyond that. If they lose money, if someone takes money from them, if um, something doesn't go their way, they completely lose it. And we can look at all that because we've been meditating a while and we recognize, oh, well, that's kind of silly. But to the degree that we look to that kind of situation and, and we say, well, you know, that's just life happening and that's not my experience. Well, by meditating well and practicing yoga, you eventually access the state where something like even death occurs and you recognize that's the body. The body is passing, but I am still present. So it, it's interesting because you, you kind of have to pay attention to where you have come from and then just imagine what it could be like if that progression continued. Do you understand what I'm saying? Does this make sense? Um, someone that I, that I kind of appreciate a good bit, um, his writings, uh, sort of the way he, he thought about things. Um, I, I recently learned that he just checked himself into rehab because um, he was having difficulty with uh, his wife's cancer diagnosis. And when I thought about this guy, when Melissa was going through her issues and she was passing, I actually wanted to write to him because he, he, was a, he seemed like a very you know, clear individual. And I thought, you know, I, I want to get some insight from him. And when I found out he just checked himself into rehab because of drug abuse, because of his difficulty, and his wife's even better now. She didn't you know, check out. I thought to myself, huh, well, I guess. <laughs> and again, this, I, I have compassion for this individual, but I'm sharing this, this story because when we go through our life experiences, we might actually know more and be clearer than we think we are. And sometimes when you start to appreciate what other people are going through, that's when you recognize the clarity that you have experienced. Because just like you notice as you get older, you know, I don't think I look any older than I did 20 years ago because I've been looking at myself in the mirror every day for the last 20 years. But when I go back and I look at, you know, when I first came here and my hair was shaved and I was 40 pounds lighter and I'm standing by Roy and I look like a little skeleton with, you know, spiky hair, like, I look quite a bit different than I did then. So sometimes we do have to look around a little bit just to get a sense of, okay, I recognize that, that this, um, the way I'm developing through this process is authentic. And sometimes you just don't appreciate it until an experience like what I just described comes up. Or when I was talking to Phil, um, he was describing when he first got interested in, in, in Kriya Yoga and meditation that he was a, a Christian minister for years. But he was frustrated that he was not making the progress that he thought he should be making, sort of the realizations or the understanding or inner peace. 
And he came to yoga and meditation because of pain. He hurt his back. And someone said, meditation will help you with pain. And then he started recognizing that within the course of a year of doing meditation, that his understanding of reading things like the Bible had just been accelerated. And um, he started talking to his wife about that. And she said, he said that she pulled out a list of all, all, all the changes, all the negative quirks and personality issues that he had that essentially went away or became minimized just within a year of practicing meditation. But he could not appreciate it because he was just doing it, right? So this is a natural process that we're going through, and we have to recognize that it is by turning our awareness within and meditating well that... Um, this clarity dawns. And it always comes down to letting go of your small sense of self. It's always what it's going to come down to. Every problem you have is your small sense of self. Um, one of my helpful yet somewhat unhelpful friends, um, when Melissa was going through her, her illness, I would talk to him a lot, and he was, he was an astrologer, and he helped her out a good bit just chatting with her. But when I would call him up crying, he would say, look, Ryan, he'd say, what hurts? He'd say, the ego hurts. So what? <laughs> and he would tell me that over and over and over again. But, and I didn't like him for that, for that approach. And even sometimes when I would speak to Mr. Davis, if I would, if I would have a problem or a difficulty, I would think I'm coming to CSA, you know, to be with my spiritual teacher who's have 60 to 70 more years of experience on me than all this and, and knows things. And he does, or did, it does. And um, I would have a very serious issue that I was going through. And we'd go and we'd sit in the chalet and uh, he'd bring out some tea, which I would try not to drink until the very end because it, it always turned out that as soon as I started drinking tea, I'd have to pee. And so... <laughs> I wanted to just hang out with him, but not be distracted. Um, and I would kind of bring up this problem, and he'd sort of look at me, go, hmm. And then he'd just start talking about something else. <laughs> and it drove me nuts. When it first happened, the first few times it happened, I was like, what is wrong with this guy? <laughs> not really. I mean, I didn't, I didn't ever really think that. But it, it perplexed me. And, and I could not figure out. I was like, this is a serious issue. And, you know, he is my spiritual teacher. And, and we have these, you know, worldly things I have to deal with. Why, why is he just brushing over it? And then it finally dawned on me. He was seeing the unreality of it. Meaning it was his way of kind of saying, okay, now let's talk about, let's get on to what's important. And again, it, it, it really bothered me. <laughs> But when I, when I started to kind of catch on to what he was doing, then what I found was in my life, when a problem arose, okay, well, what do I need to do? I need to, I need to do something to deal with that problem, but I can only do so much. So once I've done what I need to do to deal with the problem, what do I do? I need to just get back to work. I need to meditate. I need to answer my emails, do my work, mow the grass. I need to do all the things that I would typically do because that problem was not going to get any better by me thinking about it more or by me giving more attention and energy to it. So the yogic path is an inner path, but it's also very difficult because it's shifting your, most people's, maybe not yours, maybe you're already aware of this, it's shifting your 
uh, it's shifting your compass from being a problem-centered individual to a uh, capital S self, wholeness of life self, not little self, but a, a self-centered individual. And once I kind of caught on with how that interaction was going with Mr. Davis, because I'd bring it up and then an hour and a half later, you know, he's talking about, you know, putting roofs on things at CSA, like things that have nothing to do with the problem I thought was such a, a big issue. Um, when I caught on, eventually, all he needed to say to me was, when a difficulty was arising, was, whatever you do, simply remain established in the self. Do whatever it takes to remain established in what is actually true for you. What is actually true for you. And that was all I needed. Um, Lahiri Mahasaya, number two there, um, when he would talk to students about practicing Kriya Yoga, he would say, no matter what happens in your life, simply practice Kriya. Now, a lot of people have misinterpreted that, and there are, uh, there are a good many of them on the internet um, that, that kind of focus on this idea that everything is taken care of by simply doing a meditation technique correctly. That is not what he was indicating, partially but not entirely. What he was saying was, do whatever it takes to become more established in that inner sense of, of, of poise and balance. And if that means taking a moment to feel the body, give the awareness to the breath, and do the actual Kriya Pranayamas where you're pulling the current up through the spine, that establishes you in the self, then you do that. That's what you do. No matter what's going on, you will always respond better to any situation in this time-space circumstance if you are responding from a place of self, inner, the inner self, capital S, the wholeness of life self, the, the big you that is not necessarily concerned with the mind-body personality or overly concerned with it. So no matter what you do, if you're able to, no matter what's happening, practice Kriya, meaning establish yourself in the self, then you make it through this life fulfilling your duty and your responsibility, which is to live this life well. You are an individualized unit of this wholeness. So your little personality with all your little weird things that you've got going on in your head, that's just part of this whole clockwork mechanism of, of life. It's okay. But you need to see it as a vehicle, your body as a vehicle, your mind, your personality as a vehicle is an expression of this bigger part of you. And if you can remain established in that throughout the duration of your life, you have fulfilled the purpose of your life. Not how much money have you made, not have you been with the right person, not have you lived perfectly healthy, none of those things. Those are byproducts of, of, of living well, um, of doing your duty. But if you have made it from birth to death, remain established in the self, then when you pass, you will remain established in the self, right? And as you've heard me say this before, but remembering the, um, the time uh, Mr. Davis was asked, how do I know when I die that I will fully awaken to an enlightened consciousness? And his only response was, the only way I know that you will be fully awake when you die is to be fully awake before you go. <laughs> So that is why now 
is the most important time for you because you're only here for a week or for two weeks. But what this is, this is a, a training time to start practicing how can I remain fully established in the self. And one thing I've done when I've come here a lot is not during talks like this, but when I come here and meditate when there's nothing going on, um, you know, I'll sit in that front row and kind of pay attention to what I've learned from Roy and Yogananda and, and Sri Yukteswar. And what I'll do is I'll, once a day I would come down here during a retreat and I would project that into my life when I'm not here. Meaning I would think about, okay, well, if I were at home or if I were doing my work or if, I'm, if I wasn't going to come back for another three months or a year or so, I would imagine that year or those three months or that time when I'm back at home and I would, I would kind of, in a sense, imagine if that state of clarity that I experience here was there as well. And that would help kind of tile this together from the training to the actual life experience. And then when I'd come back again, I'd kind of consider, well, how did that go? And I would then, in my mind, kind of tweak it a little bit and reimagine it again. And that, that was sort of how I kept doing this. And now, since I don't live in Asheville anymore, because it was just a two-hour drive from here to uh, Asheville when I lived in Asheville, now it's a long drive. <laughs> um, now, when I'm up in West Virginia, what I actually do, uh, I used to sometimes uh, once a week imagine that I was sitting somewhere in that front row, actually here. But then I recognized that there are um, uh, retreats going on throughout most of the year, so it'd be really weird if I imagine that I'm sitting there and someone else is sitting there and our little astral bodies got mixed up. So I imagine I'm back in the corner there <laughs> with Ganesh where no one is. But the point is, the reason I'm sharing this with you is because where your mind is, what you are aware of, you live from that state. And just like the ideas of, of baptism and, and repenting, as he's using the words, are, are from a yogic perspective. Uh, when we think about attuning to our spiritual teachers, or when I think about Roy now, and I remember the times, you know, drinking tea with him or sitting here listening to him talk and remembering, or, you know, up in the greenhouse when Melissa and I would come and visit, remembering that, that exchange and that clarity that I experienced by participating in that kind of interaction. Um, now I imagine it as though it is, it is as real for me now as it was then, and that is my way of attuning to uh, my spiritual teacher or spiritual teachers or anyone who has a, a clear consciousness, right? That is why who you spend time with the real reason why who you spend time with is so important is because you will tend to act like the people that you spend time with. You will tend to think like the people that you spend time with. When you spend time with people that have, mm, have maybe a broader perspective on life, you will tend to have a broader perspective on life. If I don't know, maybe you did this, maybe you didn't. When I was a kid, you know, I was into to music, and so I had posters of my rock star idols up on, up on the walls. And why do we do that? Because we want to be like those people, right? Um, people who are into martial arts, they have pictures of, uh, you know, Bruce Lee, I don't know, I'm not into martial arts that much, but you know, people that, that, they, that they kind of want to be like and emulate. 
or you read books of people that you want to be like and emulate. And when you do that, you are then, in a sense, preparing yourself to become what they are and to know what they are. So you always have to think about, um, I want to encourage you not to get lost in uh, worship of a person or an idea. I want you to, when you think about or read books by Sri Yukteswar Yogananda or anyone that, that inspires your mind, think about what are they? What were they like inside? What do they do? How do they behave? How do they act? How did they meditate? And if you do that, you will begin to recognize and know what they know, right? When I when I first met Mr. Davis, um, I, I was I think twenty, and um, when I heard him talk, it just made sense to me. I didn't sit in the back of the room and go, "What's he saying?" I don't quite get that. When he would talk, it was just like someone talking to me and reminding me of what I already knew. As a 20-year-old, I was still pretty stupid. So I had to work through a lot of like dumb ideas that were interspersed in that. But I, I, I felt and knew what he was saying. And if there were certain things that occurred that I did not understand, I didn't say, oh, well, I just don't get that and I never will. I thought to myself, I understood most of what he said which means I can probably understand the rest of it if I spend some time actually trying to work it out and think about it. So whenever you're, when you're studying and learning this stuff and you're, 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 you're trying to process new ideas, always have the feeling, the sense that you can understand it. Even if you don't right now, don't be the kind of glazed over individual that sometimes you see at seminars that you can tell they're getting talked at. They're not, it, it's not sinking in. So you always want to have a sense of curiosity. Number one, either you know what the person's saying, you just have to simply start applying it, or you don't understand, but you recognize that it is possible for you to understand that. So I've been criticized because of this, because people say, ah, oh, you think you can know what Yogananda knows you know, you, you, you think you can know what, what these people... Yes, I do think that. And Roy talked to people like that. He did not want individuals to think, no, you can't do that. What I got from my interactions with Mr. Davis was this, this deeper understanding is accessible to everyone. It's accessible to everyone. You just have to do the hard work because it is hard work sometimes, to realize it. But just like a kid grows up from a three-year-old to eventually a 40-year-old, 60-year-old, 70-year-old, if you engage the process, you will grow up and then you it will be natural to you. Just like whatever age you are now. Could your five-year-old self really appreciate where you are, who you are right now, right? Could your five-year-old self appreciate that? Interesting. You see what I'm saying? Like when you think about being a kid and you looked up to all these people and you're like, oh, so wonderful, you know, they, hopefully they're wonderful, I don't know, or how terrible. But um, you, you looked up where you saw these people and you could not really conceive of why they were the way they were, what they were doing. But eventually you became a teenager, you went, you know, started working, you had kids, and then eventually now you are this individual. You're like, well, that was whatever it was, <laughs> but that same process applies to spiritual growth. We 
we are, you know, we are passing through this experience. Most people get hung up on the human condition. That's the other thing I got from Mr. Davis quite often, was that the human condition is a perplexing situation. <laughs> but it's just something that we are passing through, that we are growing through. We appreciate it while we are here and we learn and we grow from it, but as we discussed with these three worlds, I think Sri Yukteswar described it this way. He described it in such a way that like this physical creation is like this big, condensed, packed in, matter, teeny-weeny little thing. The rest of us, our inner world, is like a giant balloon that this kind of material creation uh, carries. And that little material creation is minuscule compared to this huge inner world potential. And then that, that astral world of our dreams and our, our perceptions and our feelings and our emotions is teeny-weeny-weeny compared to that causal world of pure awareness. So if, if you recognize, if you can start to recognize that you are moving through the stages of, of growth, spiritually speaking, and that this human life serves a purpose, but it is not the end goal, Again, we're not trying to like project ourselves into the future to get to a heaven that doesn't uh, a heaven that we think exists in the future. But if we recognize that the purpose of our life is to awaken to this greater sense of ourselves, then we have to be able to accept that we have the capacity and the possibility to know and appreciate this. Again, it doesn't mean you can talk about it. It doesn't mean you can think about it. It means you can experience it, which is why going back to that idea of contemplating the ohm vibration, when you are hearing that sound and when you are absorbed in it, you are not aware of yourself. You're not. In the same way, I use this example over and over, when you're out in nature and you're simply aware of a beautiful sunrise or you know fresh snow on the ground or you see you know a turkey walking by and all you are aware of is just that experience. That is the same kind of experience that you are absorbed in when you are absorbed in meditation. There is no little you there. That is why they say um, the little self, the ego, isn't real. Because it's really not real. It comes and it goes. That is what we're aiming to experience here. That part of us which is eternal. Now, <clears throat> one final thing before we get into <clears throat> the questions. This idea of OM and hearing that sound, what I want to encourage you to do is throughout the week, at random times, come to this place, this meditation hall. Before you do anything, don't even try to do your alternate nostril breathing or Kriya Pranayama, just sit down and listen and see if you can hear something. If you can, go with it for as long as you can. See how, if it becomes deeper, if it eventually fades away and you really can't get it, then do your meditation techniques. And eventually you'll notice that it'll come back. Um, as I talked about last year, when you are listening to it, it is the act of trying to hear it that is most important. Which means that, just like right now, I'm hoping you're all paying attention, but I know some of you are drifting off and thinking about other things. But the fact that you come back and listen again, it is that constant returning to I'm, I'm, no, no, I'm paying attention to this. And what that does is it works out your, your ability to focus and your concentration to eventually you can simply hold your awareness there. So you are not failing in any way if it comes and it goes. 
you are failing if it goes and you don't try to listen to it again. You, you see what I'm saying? It, it's If you let it go, it's like fishing. You, know, you fail if you cast once or twice and don't catch anything. You say, oh, whatever, and you go away. You don't fail if you spend <laughs> a lot of time trying to catch a fish and maybe you get one or two. The fact that you got one or two in that amount of time is what is the important part. Now, the physical body is important to hear this vibration. Um, Sri Yukteswar talks about it as though it is this sound and you're baptized within this sound. Lahiri Mahasaya, he says that even the physical body is the Om vibration. Even the physical body is, is an expression of this pranava or an expression of this Om vibration. So if you can't hear it, if you can feel your body, if you can feel your body, you are beginning the process of experiencing this. And why is that the case? Because the body, the nervous system, is a listening device. The nerves that run through your body, they, they, bring, they bring attention back to that witnessing presence, that self. And so if you can simply feel the body, if that's all you can do at first, that is also a method of beginning to hear the Om vibration. It's just a more gross version of it, right? It's a more concrete, you can touch it, feel it. It's a more gross physical version of it. And in time, as you pull your awareness within and you're no longer distracted by all, all these other things, then that little sound begins to be heard. And as Sri Yukteswar describes it, it's really fascinating. I, I, this whole talk that I've done with um, uh, Phil has been wonderful. Uh, there's a description in here where it talks about um, like John the Baptist and how he describes uh, that he is the voice, I need to find it. it's the voice crying in the wilderness. The voice crying in the wilderness. And that while John was not the light, because Jesus was the one right, the Christ consciousness idea. Um, uh, John was the one that baptized Jesus. John was considered to be that evidential aspect of God, which was not quite there, was not quite the light, but was like the voice crying in the wilderness. Now, when you're trying to listen to that own vibration, doesn't it sound like a little voice in the wilderness that's like, I hear it, but now there's a lawnmower. <laughs> Do you understand? But what happens is, by listening to that voice, remember John the Baptist, the whole idea of John the Baptist was to baptize the Christ consciousness, to bring it into experience. Well, by listening to that voice, that evidential aspect of, of God, it leads you to the Christ consciousness, because Jesus came next. And by listening to that voice, you eventually become baptized in the Spirit, and you eventually recognize that you are the Christ consciousness as well, but you kind of got to go through that route. You know, you kind of got to hear it and listen. And it's like that voice crying in the wilderness where there's lawnmowers, there's birds, there's deer making sound, there's all kinds of noise, and you have to listen hard to figure out where is it coming from. So when you're doing this process of meditating, listening, meditating, listening, recognize it may not be easy, but eventually, just like the uh, outdoorsman who is so in tune with nature, you hear that voice in the wilderness and you know exactly where it's coming from. You can go right to it because you're, you, you've, you've done it, you've practiced it, you see. 
that is what this whole process is about, is learning to let go of all distractions, focus on what is most important, and I, will, I can't say this enough, do whatever it takes for you to do it. You know, you can listen to people talk all day long about this meditation technique, that meditation technique. Um, if you just do it this way, it'll work. If no one told you how to do it, how would you do it? Right? If you wanted to do something, if you wanted to figure something out and you had no one around to tell you how to do it, how would you do it? The lucky thing is we have lots of texts, we have lots of teachers, we have lots of experienced people that can share with you what worked for them. You try it, you do it, you find out how it works for you, and then you let that be a natural expression of this inner path, this inner experience. But it is personal. It is an inner experience. Uh, when you hear the sound, are you supposed to always meditate on that? If you can hear like it... Every single time for the rest of your life? If you can hear it, <laughs> you should go into it. Every time? Every time. Okay. Okay. And then, you know, as Mr. Davis would say, and this is, this is a good point, because as I was driving down here, I was taking little notes in my mind about things we needed to talk about. Um, yes, you do it and you go into it and eventually you will have you will you will experience significant transcendence doing that every time but you never want to get satisfied with an experience which means that maybe you master this and you're doing it really well and every time you sit down you can be in a subway kids can be crying somewhere you know it's thanksgiving and everyone's nuts um, you can sit down and you can hear it no matter what. And when you're alone by yourself, it is a profound experience. But even when that becomes your norm, you still, at some point within that meditation, ask or inquire, what is beyond this? Okay, so that is, that is a good point because I forget who I was talking to, one of the uh, Kriya Yoga Apprentice students, um, and the, the way they were, what they described me was, oh, I got it. And, you know, this was like halfway through year two. And I thought, hmm, okay, it's possible. <laughs> but it's been a year and a half or so. I think you need to contemplate what you think you have and then ask, what is beyond that? Because if someone can say, I have got it, there's still a little something there. So... Again, that that's that not. It wasn't you. It wasn't you. It could have been anybody, because because we all have those moments. I remember. <laughs> I remember. Let's see. It must have been 2007. <laughs> I thought I had it, <laughs> and I remember. I, I came to one of the retreats, and I, I told Roy that, and he sort of looked at me, and he said, "Even," I think he said, "Even Lahiri Mosiah, once he got it, continued to meditate." <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway whatever you experience yes goes deeply into the process as possible and it's okay to hang out there for a while um, but and one final story and then we'll take these and I know some of you have heard this before when um, Roy would meet with Yogananda and they would, they would walk around the grounds together uh, Roy said that he never went to Yogananda with any questions, really. 
But one time they were walking around the grounds and Yogananda just said, well, do you have any questions? And um, Roy had been reading Autobiography of a Yogi, and, you know, that's got lots of stories of saints and sages who experienced cosmic consciousness and God realization. And there's a lot of them in that book. Very inspiring. And Roy said, well, how many of the, how many of the, the saints and sages in Autobiography of a Yogi that you wrote about, that you met, were completely realized? And he said, Yogananda didn't drop, didn't pause, and he wasn't, it wasn't a judgmental tone that came out of his mouth. He just said, not many. He said, many of them are content to exist in that state of God communion, and they don't go all the way. Because if you are in a state of God communion, that means that you still think there is a you and a God. In the sense of, what does it mean to commune with something? You come together. When we come together, we are communing, right? But when we come together, I still think I'm Ryan. I still think, you know, you're John. I still think you're, you see, I, I still think there's a separation. And that's a beautiful thing. Just like when you're with the, the most dearest person that you love, it's, there's no reason to question that. There's no reason to go beyond it. You're just happily with that person that you feel that sense of peace and love with. Whether it's your friend uh, or it's your spouse or your child, there's, you don't feel like there's anything more beyond that but there's still a sense of separateness. So it's okay to experience that state of God communion because it is blissful, it is liberating, it is cleansing, it is, it is a powerful part of this whole experience, but after a while, you don't want to get stuck there because that is not the end. You then want to inquire, well, what is beyond even that? So no matter what your experiences are of this next, you know, two to 10 to 20 to 30 to 40 years, however many years you got left, um, you always want to hit that peak experience and exist there, but then make sure that you, you ask and you're sure, okay, what's beyond this? And that's how you will continue doing what you need to be doing. You know. This episode of the Kriya Yoga podcast was made possible by donations from Kriya Yoga Apprenticeship students and supporters of our Patreon community at www.patreon.com forward slash Kriya Yoga.